It's getting hot out there, folks. I don't know how else to say it other than it's getting hot. I don't know what the numbers are in terms of the temperature, but this has got to be the hottest weekend that we've had this year so far. And you can feel the tension. Heat brings tension. Whenever it's like sweltering, scalding hot outside, whatever the adjective you, you use to describe the heat, whenever it's like this outside, you can feel people like exuding anger and discomfort. And it's, it, it is kind of scary to watch. I'm back in my old neighborhood and my parents, uh, staying with my parents for the next couple weeks. It, it, I, I was at my place for two weeks. I made it two weeks before it started getting really hot in there and I have no air conditioning, so I decided to come back. And I have a few things to do while I'm here, but there, there was a bunch of, whatever. I'm back in my parents' old neighborhood and I know the area and I drive around and I can see, I just drive past people's front yards and I see the residents getting, you know, getting volatile. It's like do the right thing, but for white people. If you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, you got to watch it. It was uh, Spike Lee's first big movie. It was the film that put him on the map as a viable filmmaker. And it takes place in one single day in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, hottest day of the year. And it's uh, it's the you have the black residents, the Puerto Ricans, the Koreans, the, a family that just kind of runs a store on the corner. Then you have the Italian family, the only white family, uh, a father and two sons, and they own a pizzeria. And it's about all these people interacting with each other. And it gets so hot, and everybody's just so tense. And by the end, it just culminates into one big violent act. There's, there's a riot, and I'm, I'm spoiling the movie. Whatever, it's 30 years old. You missed your shot. Okay, at this point. I don't know. Watch the read the Wikipedia synopsis. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, there's a riot at the end and then a police killing. And I'm not saying that my neighborhood is exactly like that. Like this situation is like that. I'm I'm not going to go that far, everybody. Don't worry. But it uh you you can definitely feel the tension exuding. That's that's all I'm saying. And uh, who knows, it could culminate in a violent act. Like I I can picture a couple of the soccer dads around here going at each other beating the shit out of each other in the middle of the street with lawn equipment. You know, just two guys dueling with weed whackers or something like that. It's a funny image, but probably terrifying to see in person. Certainly not something you want to report to the police. Yeah, so yeah, there's, uh, yeah, Bob and Charlie are uh, are uh, at it again. Yeah, uh, they, have, uh, they have the weed clippers. And uh, they're just, they're, they're clanging those together. They're scaring all the kids. All the kids want to do is play road hockey. And they're out here in their underwear and fucking barbecue aprons with shit they got from their shed. Can somebody just come and just scare those guys away? You don't need to arrest them. Uh yeah, it's getting wild, getting wild. Stop the violence is what I'm trying to say. Stop the violence. Everybody hold hands and fuck. Don't let the heat get to you. Go outside, go for a walk or a run, whatever. Carry your own little bottle of water. Have a popsicle, pet a puppy. Speak to someone you don't agree with. Have a nice day. Enjoy the summer. The patios are, every, everything's opening soon. The patios are opening. Ugh. And I'm not really looking forward to that. It's, it's going to be a lot of tension. It's just going to be people catching up on their political arguments. You're going to have one guy who's conservative, another guy who's liberal, and those guys are going to be fighting eventually. They're going to hire extra security just in case a, a debate on capitalism breaks out. Never mind, a, never mind a fist fight in the parking lot. 
Just one guy talking about Stalin, the other guy talking about Reagan. It's just going to be miserable this first couple this first couple months of establishments opening back up. It's just going to be nobody's really going to be all that happy to see each other. Everybody lies. Everybody just says that they're yeah. I can't wait to see. I really miss you. When in reality, you're you're really hoping this person just gets. I don't know. Is involved in a mugging that goes wrong. I guess. Yeah, it's a lot of that. But I hope you guys are all well. All right. I hope you're well. Not good. That's informal. That's improper English. Or in, in is improper? I get. I I don't know. Fuck. I'm I'm five minutes not even into this recording and I'm already, I'm already fucking up my vocabulary. I don't know what to tell you. But I hope you are well. That's that's what the people say. That's 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 what people say. That's that's proper English. When you go in to get your vaccine and you walk up to the desk and that that bird lady with the mask on is at the computer and you, I don't know you can't identify her because her face is covered. You, you she she may as she may very well be a serial killer on the run. She probably killed the real person that was sitting there and put them in a broom closet and is now taking their place to blend in with society and and you're now interacting with her, which is very creepy. But that's what the first thing they ask you when I, when when you go in to get your vax. It's you know, are you well? Because they don't want you to start coughing up blood right at the table. And you answer them. Yes or no, whatever. And uh, I don't know. If you answer no, they probably put you in the broom closet with a dead person. But uh, yeah, that's what I remember they asked me that. I, I remember her asking me that verbatim when I got my H1N1 vaccine, that was back in 2009. I was the ripe old age of 18. I was a wee lad already conforming to the system, rolling up my sleeve and getting that needle right in my shoulder. There's a, probably a few people listening to this going, yeah, Alex, the next time I see you, I'm smacking you in the face. You conformist pig. But I don't know what to tell you. That's just me. I, I submit. I don't like it, but I submit. If you don't respect me, don't respect me. Just it, it is what it is. I'm kidding. I will go to war if need be. Haven't gotten to that point yet, but on the table. But I'm back in my old neighborhood. I'm st- I'm I, I have two residents. I'm like I'm like a nomad. I just go back and forth between places. I just I have two homes really, and I got to stop that. I feel like my. I feel like I'm a child in the middle of an ugly divorce, yet there's no parents around. Or yet my mom and dad aren't separated. I'm just, I'm back at my mom's house right now and the other place that I'm at, the apartment, dad's never there. I just, I hold the fort. He left, told me he was going to buy cashew milk at the store. I haven't heard from him since January. But I'm back here. I had to go to the dermatologist. I had a dermatologist. There's this red spot underneath my hairline, like on the top of my forehead. And I didn't know what it was for the longest time. I And whenever you see a red spot, you're always freaked out. You're like, what is Like every, any person that you've ever like had any sexual contact with, you're just, you're just going through your memory going, okay, who could it have been? But no, it, uh, 
I, I was freaking out for the four weeks leading up to the appointment. And I, I'm pretty sure this this spot has been here for years and I just never I never really paid attention to it because it, it wasn't but it was it was protruding, it was visible, it was kind of shiny, and I needed to get it checked out. So the four weeks leading up to the appointment, I was just the anxiety and the the possibilities and every scenario was just running through my head. Like, do I need to start writing a will? Are there people I need to start phoning? What's happening? Anyways, I get there and it turns out it's just a burst blood vessel. That's it. And it's normal and it comes with aging and it's it's benign and it's it is what it is. So that was that was a relief. But could you imagine if it, it was just I, I didn't shower <laughs> and that was it? I just left. I don't know. I took a bite into a fresh slice of pizza and the sauce flew. I don't <laughs> I'm just not. Yeah, so what is a doc? Is it cancer? No, you're just not maintaining your hygiene. I don't know. Uh, maybe get some fucking L'Oreal and you know, spread that around. I think you'll be okay. Anyways, I got to cut off, and that was uh, that was anxiety inducing. I've never gotten a piece of me kind of cut off before, and it was uh, my heart was racing, but it lasted like twenty seconds. And uh, he like cut it off clean, and there's like kind of a little mark and a scab, but that was it. That was I'm I'm fine. For now, I suppose. But it was wild. Yeah. Uh, I'm shooting a short film. Me and my buddy, we were out recently. Uh, just yesterday, we had uh, we drove around scouting locations for this uh, short horror movie that I'm doing. A horror I want it to be about four minutes, and I'm not spoiling anything because I want to put it up online. But we got the whole setup. I got the shots mapped out. I got a list of things. I got a script. I got I got my actors. It's all friends of mine. It's all buddies. They just want to be on camera. They're all attention whores like me. And we're we're getting together. We're making a film. And I haven't really been behind a camera since last year when I shot my last short horror film with my sister and uh, my friend Max. And Max is back, and he's playing the same exact thing. And I'm I'm stoked for this. But me and my buddy Tom, we were scouting locations, and uh, I was really riding them, not literally, but I'm making them work. I'm paying these guys. I'm doing. I'm feeding them. That's most important. I am, you know, I am a grueling person to work with, but at least I'm humane. I'm gonna pack a few sandwiches, maybe two, one bologna, the other hot salami. And I'll just toss them on the ground and I'll make people fight for it. Hey, this is show business. No one said it was for the weak. You're lucky this is as bad as I am. But we're filming by bleachers. That's one scene in the movie. That's, uh, I think, the, I think, uh, I wrote the fucking script. It's the opening scene of the movie. And we're filming by bleachers. And we found a good set of bleachers across from my high school. We had to walk past my old high school. And my old high school has been closed down for almost a decade. They had to; they, it was falling apart while we were there. So th- this had been the, them moving locations. It's a new building, uh, about five minutes away. But them moving location that was about twenty years in the making. That school had been falling apart forever, right? And nobody really cared. Nobody gave a shit. You know, nobody, nobody batted an eye at the ceiling falling in. We'd be in history class and just like a light would fall out of the ceiling. 
come to think of it, it served as a good allegory for the events to come 15 years down the road. It would have been nice if my history teacher maybe mentioned that. Like, hey, yeah, this happened in World War II, but, you know, look at the, uh, you see the ceiling and, you know, all the drywall falling out? Yeah, that uh, serves as a metaphor for uh, the political turmoil that's coming down the pike. You guys are all fucked, in other words. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. Canadian history is very... There, there's some really good moments in Canadian history. World War One, World War Two, in particular. But Canadian history, I'll just say, side note, kind of boring. You know? Kind of boring. It's just, especially in comparison to, to American history, all the things that were coinciding with... American events that were coinciding with Canadian history, you almost just want to scrap all of that and learn American history. I don't know. Canadian history, it's like it's like a bunch of French people and treaties. Like, how long do we have to go on about the fur trade? A bunch of otters were killed. The French and English fought each other, slit each other's throat, whatever it was over a fort somewhere. How long do we have to go on with that? Can we, you know? My history teacher would stand there, and it would just be—he'd go on for an hour. In 1969, a French Parliament member Francois Suilevine, and you're going fuck Francois Suilevine. What did he? Can we? Can we please learn about the guy who went to the moon? I think that's a little more significant than Pepe Le Pew over here. In 1971, Pierre Elliott Trudeau had a steak dinner at a an Ottawa establishment known as can 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 we talk about Agent Orange? Can we talk about Vietnam? Can we talk about there's a whole how about this? Um, you write a thousand word essay about Agent Orange and how it affected the soldiers of Vietnam, and you have it on my desk by tomorrow. I'll be waiting for it. Get me an apple or a tangerine or some other stupid fruit. But anyway, I'm, I'm trying to say, my high school was falling apart. That's what, That was the whole thing. It was falling apart. It was almost dilapidated pretty much. The bathrooms were terrible. It was, they, they tried to, they did as much as they could with the building, but they, at the end, they needed a new facility. And none of the students really cared. They always tried to hold these raffles and these contests and school dances trying to raise money, but not not enough people came. No, nobody wants to go to a high school dance after the ninth grade. Like, how many times can you play Panic at the Disco on loop? Helena from uh, Helena or whatever from My Chemical Romance is a very good song, but there's only so many times my ears can tolerate it. But this is this is how bad my school was. I I can't think of a, a, a something crazier than this. My my school was so out of shape that the fucking lights would go out randomly sometimes. The power would go out in the middle of class, and I remember one Friday it went out, just pitch black. Everywhere was pitch black in the middle during the middle of the day. It was it might have been third period something like that before lunch. 
And in the cafeteria, pitch black, the, like a riot broke out, like a whole riot broke out. And there was kids stealing food. They were ki- stealing money out of the register. One kid jumps on a cafeteria table with a, a garbage can and heaves it at some poor girl, hospitalized her, hospitalized this chick. And it was why, like everybody, nobody, nobody, I don't know if anybody saw who did it, but it was, it was a mess. Anyway, she was fine, but she got hospital on a Friday, on a Friday. That will ruin all, that, 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 that's an, that can ruin your weekend, everybody. And it was a long weekend. We got to go home later that day. No, didn't we go out? What's happening? Sorry about that. My screen went black. Stupid, stupid thing. No, but on a Friday, it was pretty much a long weekend at that point. We had the rest of the day off, and and that's just that's that's not fair to do to somebody at the end of the week. Saturdays, however, are known to pick up though. You can have a terrible Friday and then have a very good Saturday. So hopefully, uh, hopefully the sun was shining for her if you will, come uh, come Saturday morning. No, I don't know what happened to that kid who threw the can. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he got, I don't know. Maybe they, uh, they didn't give him a free breakfast or something for a week, whatever the hell it was. Whatever, whatever the punishment was. Anyway, he was a dick. That garbage can could have been, uh, could have been used for, 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 for a better purpose other than an assault. Uh, yeah, anyways, what the hell was I talking about? Shooting locations. So we were walking. We had to walk by my school, and all those memories came back of what, like, just everything. We, we had to walk by through this field, over a soccer field. What, my school never had an actual, like, sporting facility. All the other schools had, like, a football, like a track, uh, track and field thing uh, where you'd go around. They'd have, like, their own baseball, whatever, foot, whatever it was. Those kids, those schools would have it. We didn't. We were deprived of that shit. But across from there is uh, a public school that did have sort of a baseball diamond by their bleachers. And we're using those bleachers. And that's that's all I wanted to say on, on that note. Uh, we're filming there. And it's, uh, it's going to be a wild shoot. My buddy Tom the Bomb is helping me, the guy that I mentioned last pod. And I don't know how mu- I don't know what else I can say without spoiling anything. Tom's helping me. He's helping produce it. We That's really the only interest the two of us share together. He's all tatted up. He's a tattoo artist, or he was, and he's into video games and anime and art, and I'm really not into that stuff. And we just share this, this common love for B-horror movies. You know, the kinds where shoestring budget it's filmed on, and it's it's usually just about a guy who starts bleeding randomly one day and he he just morphs into a rat or a possum and the movie's just called possum rat it's just something amateur like that and it's it's shown on the midnight movie circuit and whatever we we like that kind of stuff it's cheesy the blood is is over the top and it's entertaining and that's what entertainment should be whatever but it's going to be a good I, i'm hoping that it turns out well I'm hoping. 
If not, I have Tom to blame. He's my scapegoat. That's really the only reason he's here, just to make... If things go south, I can... Hey, it was the tatted guy. They're always up to no good. Uh, what did I do? I uh, Yesterday, I watched this show... It was seven episodes, and I binged the whole thing. I don't usually binge a whole series, but it's it's a mini series from HBO called Mayor of Eastwood with Kate Winslet. I thought it was Mayor of Eastwood, but it turns out it's actually Mayor. Mayor like I guess Mary. I've never met somebody named Mayor ever. I didn't even know that it was a fucking name. But it's uh, Kate Winslet plays a lady in. Uh, she's like a, a a police officer or a detective in this small little town outside of Philly. And that's the whole plot. She's solving a murder case. I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything outside of that, but she's in a small town outside of Philly. And a really really good show. It's captivating. It it hooks you in pretty much right away within the first episode. And that's what it's supposed to do. Okay? I don't I don't, I don't want any pussyfooting around a murder or a kidnapping. I just want to get right to it. And it, w- it was a really good show. I do have my criticisms, but it was a good show. One of the things that they're noting about this is that they actually pull off, the characters actually pull off, and they they do emphasize the Philly accent, the Pennsylvania accent, which is not a lot, uh, something not a lot of, which is something not a lot of shows in and around Philadelphia do. Every other, every movie that takes place in Philadelphia, they're doing like almost like a New York accent. Like, yo, yeah, you want to go down at uh, Lincoln Financial and watch the birds play? Yeah, you want to go get some Philly cheesesteaks? You want to go get some cheesesteaks? Yeah, hey, get the fuck out of here, fucking Giants fan. What are you, a fucking Cowboys fan? Yo, let's go take a leak outside of the Rocky statue. It's, they they sound like that pretty much, and it's it's very annoying because I know the way Philly people sound, right? And it's not even in Rocky, like Sylvester Stallone, he doesn't have a Philly accent in that. He just sounds like a like a like a, a slurry New York guy that just woke up from getting uh getting his tassels taken out or his wisdom teeth. Hey, Paulie, you want to go? Fucking, can I get a thing of meat to punch or something like that? Can I get a cow to hit over here? Like you know, whatever it is. Same thing with Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro can't just fucking put on an accent ever. In Silver Linings Playbook, he's playing an Eagles fan. He sounds like a guy who's out of fucking... They just He sounds like a New York guy. Any movie with Philly mobsters, they all just sound like they're from Brooklyn. I don't know. It's annoying. But in this in this show, they do a... Per, like, she does a premium Philly accent. Like she gets all the words down. There's certain moments where you can tell that a language coach had to step in and go, no, 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 it's it's pronounced water instead of water, you know. But they get like she gets it down, like she nails it. Like, yo, can I get a glass of water? Yo, you want to go? You want to go down to the birds? Yo, you let's eat a couple cheesesteaks, watch TV, and then go down, go down and watch watch the Phillies or the birds. We'll catch a couple of games back to bat, like whatever it is. It's it's that's that's more in line with what the Philly accent is, rather than whatever the fucking whatever Scorsese did or whatever with uh with that. I don't know if he ever did a movie in Philly. Oh, The Irishman, but they all have fucking New York accents. It's insane. But the show, 
Mayor of Eastwood, back to that, it's very grungy and it does it does capture the essence of that. I've spent time down there, right? It does capture the essence of those people. And I have to say, like, it is accurate. Those people, Philly people, are a little volatile. They're a little unpredictable. You never know what's going to come out. They're, a lot of them are fine down to earth folk, but a lot of them are, they have an edge to them. Some of the most aggressive homeless people live in Philly. Instead of just asking for money, they'll come up, grab your shoulders and say, please, mister, please, please, can I have a dollar? Like, it's very sad, but it's, you also kind of, you know, give me my personal space, all right? No, but they're wild down at Philly. I, w- I was at a Phillies game I, in 2019. It was a Phillies Nats. I saw two games. It was uh, two games of the series. We were down there, me and my dad. And I was lined up to get a beer. This was back when I was boozing at hard. If I'm in Philly, I'm I'm going to overdose on something. Like, let's get real. But I'm in line getting a beer. And there's children around. There's families. And some guy sees the line, runs right up and goes, Yo, this line's about as long as my dick. And just keeps walking. I think that's the standard Philly greeting that I just saw. But a little wild. You, you don't see that in a lot of other places. Just people that are that, that loud. With that. Very aggressive. Very aggressive people. I mean, I was on a. I went to a. I went on a school trip to Philadelphia when I was uh, in the eleventh grade. You know, because Cleveland was closed, and uh, yeah, I was on a school trip, and we were we were driving back to our hotel, which was out in the suburbs, probably not far from where Mayor of Easttown takes place, or where it ideally takes place. It's it's a fictional place, I think. But uh, we were driving back to the suburbs from the city. And we were all singing to these cars that went by on the highway. And some guy, just out of nowhere, car just zooms past, and I get a fucking large McDonald's Coke. Smack dab, crashes smack dab onto my chest. Drink flies everywhere. Some guy just fucking threw a drink at some children singing. I mean, we were 16, 17, but young minds. In a way, I am thankful for that. He did teach me that sometimes people aren't going to like you, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Philly. Uh, no, Mayor of Easttown, all over, pretty good show. Kate Winslet is great, great actress. Um, the guy who plays her partner, I don't want to spoil anything, but another great character. I've seen him in a couple things, and I... I I think he's fantastic uh, in that role. He's one of the better roles, one of the better characters on that show. But uh, seven episodes, and my biggest criticism of that show, and it has nothing really to do with the plot as much or the writing or the directing. It all moves at a fairly good pace, and you do stay invested. My whole thing is with Kate Winslet, there's something with British actors, something with British actors where you... I, I don't always buy them playing middle American roles, right? I play them I, I I I buy them playing roles like where they're living on the upper west side of Manhattan or they're maybe like an LA person. Excuse me. Something to something to that degree. But when they're playing these these cops and these these steel workers and these just just these these townies, right? 
I don't always get because those people have a certain look to them that British people normally don't have. British people are normally pale faced. They have different definition. A lot of them have no definition of all at all. They just look like kind of like children's drawings. Like most British people look like a child's first drawing of a non-stick figure. So it's just it's like balloon arms, a balloon body, and a balloon face. And that's just kind of they just kind of hop around like that. It's just that's kind of the look that they have. And it's very strange. So I don't always buy when people like Kate Winslet play these roles. She's very good in that. She's a very good actress. I did buy once she stood when she once I got to know the character more, I started buying into it. But just the idea of her playing a middle American cop and seeing that trailer, I just didn't at first I was skeptical. It's the same thing with Martin Freeman when he did uh, Fargo, the first season of Fargo. He's playing this guy. It's like he fucking it's like he it's like <laughs> he's just playing like this car salesman in North Dakota. And you're like, how did you get here? You one of these things is not like the other. Everybody else has a a chiseled bone structure and you just kind of look like Bilbo Baggins. Martin Freeman on Fargo looked like he looked like a guy who was just knocked out at a party and woke up in the middle of Fargo, North Dakota, hundreds of miles away from us. And he just decided to stay there. He's like, fuck it. I didn't like my wife anyways. I'm going to start a new family in the middle of nowhere. That's what he, that's what it felt like. It just felt like a guy who teleported from middle earth and he's just in, he's in the Midwest now. Uh, another thing, and I, I will say, like, I, I have to, I have to say this, okay? Like, I just, I can't stress enough. Mayor of Easttown was a really good show. I was, I was, I thought it was great. It's, it, this, this is, this speaks more to entertainment in general now. It's a little too dark, right? Mayor of Easttown is included in the, every show now that comes at, that, that tackles dark stuff. It always has to, any, any show now that takes place in middle America in these small towns always has to tackle things like the opioid crisis or teen pregnancy or assault or something or rape, something like that, right? And yes, I understand that people want to bring awareness or they want to they want to make sure that the show is grounded in reality and they're talking about these things and people are seeing them. But it's also extre- when every fucking show is like that now, it get, it gets a little too much. Where's the happiness? Where's something with a happy ending that makes me warm and gleeful? You know? Every show just, like, every show's just on opioid, like, about the opioid crisis, and I'm just, you're watching, and five episodes in, you're like, fuck, man, like, I I almost want to do opioids now, just to forget about this. I don't want to watch this, I'm depressed now. Everything's just so sad. They just want to inundate you with this feeling of, you know, it, it's always like there's never a happy ending to anything. There's no hope. There's nothing. It's just like anything that deals with with sensitive subject matter, whether it's it's sexual assault, race, something. It's just it's always, oh my God, look how badly we treated place marginalized group here. And then that's it. There's nothing else, right? It just wants to make you feel shameful and guilty. And that's not why we watch movies and television. We watch that for escapism. Yes, you're allowed to tackle hard subjects, and these stories should be told. 
These stories deserve to be told, I suppose, but you you have to depict it another way that will make the audience possibly want to watch it again and 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 will will allow it to hold up over time. Nobody wants to remember a movie that is just solely fucking depressing. There's exceptions to the rule, but generally people just want to forget about that shit, right? It puts them in a foul mood over time. There's a reason has it there's a reason movies like Schindler's List and The Pianist and 12 Years a Slave are remembered and still hold up years after their release. Schindler's List is almost 30 years old. Because while they deal, while they depict the darkest chapters in human history, there's a glimmer of hope at the end that reminds people that, okay, while you are seeing these groups of people do terrible things to another group of human beings, there's also members that are good. There's also people out there that are good and are willing to do good things for other people. And that leaves you fulfilled to a degree, right? That's kind of the deal. We'll allow you to immerse us in this dark world for three hours maybe, but you know, give me something at the end that reminds me that not everyone is fucking Satan reincarnated. That's it. Now, I'm not saying with that said, I'm not saying that every movie needs a happy ending, right? I think the usual suspects would have been, you know, ineffective if it had Kaiser Soze getting arrested at the end. I think it was, it was, it was quite real and grounded when, when you saw him just jump into a car and drive away. He's like the devil. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. Whatever that line is. I thought it was great. Now, Kevin Spacey, on the other hand, different story. Judging by what people are saying about him these days, possible reckoning is maybe appropriate. No, but just people generally want happier entertainment. They want things that uplift them, that inspire them. A lot of that's very cheesy, but there's a place for it. Uh, But Mayor of Easttown, all in all, pretty decent. I enjoyed it. I wanted to uh, do this podcast after I watched The Conjuring 3. The Devil Made Me Do It, but I, I haven't gotten a chance to yet. And I'm I'm a little disheartened because apparently this one isn't as good as the other two. I loved the other two Conjurings. The first Conjuring was like a moment in time. It was a fantastic movie, and I really want to watch this third one and and review it for you guys. But that's that's going to have to be the next podcast. But that first Conjuring movie, and the, the thing I love about the Conjuring movies so much is that it's generally a good horror film. But I think it's a great film on its own. Like it's it's investing. I've said investing too many times. Like it's 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 immersive, you know. The thing I love about uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, the the two people that play the the Warren people, and the Warrens were actually like real like ghost hunters, apparently, who had like these. Apparently, they turned out to be charlatans later on and and frauds, but they apparently had these cases of these these par- paranormal cases that they would investigate. They were paranormal investigators, and I think Lorraine Warren had uh, was like a uh, was like a clairvoyant, something like that. And Ed was just the husband that just kind of, she kept on a leash or something like that. I don't know. She fucking, she brought along with him. All right. They were, they were, they were a ghost hunting couple. You know, 
And the thing I liked about them, those characters in the movie, is that they're just depicted as normal people who just happen to have these abilities to see ghosts and hunt ghosts, right? They're not sleeping in a coffin. They're not all pale-faced. They're not quoting Bible verses. They're just, you know, they're making sexual innuendos and cooking pancakes. They have a daughter. Patrick Wilson in one scene is just fixing a family's truck. That is good service. The guy hunts your ghost and also fixes your Trans Am. And then the second one was good, too. The second one was a little repetitive, but it was very good. It was uh, something about a, an old English man who, I don't know, what, what was it? He wouldn't get out of, uh, out of a recliner or something like that. And the mother who... Uh, ran the house was getting really concerned and she goes to these people and says oh there's an there's an old man in in our living room he just won't leave he just keeps appearing and disappearing and he won't leave the chair he just keeps he just keeps sitting in the lazy boy there's not even there's not even heated seats there's not even a, a there's not even a bum vibrator he just we don't even have a telly we don't even have a telly he just sits there and just talks about the war I don't know who he is. He I, he might be a ghost. He may be just a man off the street who just climbs through the window. Maybe we should stop leaving it open all the time, but he just sits there and talks about his time in the Navy. And just sometimes we can hear him sleeping, or well, while we're sleeping, we can just hear him yelling from downstairs, No! Shoot the Jerry out of the sky! They shot Murray! My best friend Murray, bloody Jerry's. Something along those lines. It was. It was. A, it's a funny. It's. It, it's not a funny movie. <laughs> it's a scary movie. It was effective, and I'm just. I'm. I'm hoping this third one, while the reviews are so so, I'm hoping that it brings me back to what I love so much about the previous movies. I hope it just. It, it still has the flavor. Those other movies in the Conjuring series, like the spin-offs, like they were I didn't see the Annabelle movies. I heard a couple of them were okay. And the other there was another one that was like has like a Spanish name I, I know nothing about. The Nun was criminally bad. I almost sued after seeing the Nun. I almost sued after seeing the Nun. The the Nun hit, made me hate the Catholic Church more. Just a a sacrilege of a film. Yeah, it uh it, the nun was rough. The nun should have just been about a priest. Not even a priest who was a pedophile, just a priest who was like accused of pedophilia. That's enough of a horror movie. Just a priest that was accused of it and he didn't do anything. He's like the one guy in the congregation who's innocent and they frame him or something like that. And he's got to, uh, I, he's got to summon the ghost of a nun to kill all these other priests, these pedophile priests. And it's like, it's like, uh, it's like half inglorious bastards, half exorcists. Oh, yeah, but I uh, got to see The Conjuring 3. Oh, man, why watch a horror movie when you can just go outside? Everybody, Everybody's just so frightening now. Everybody's either broke, unemployed, stoned, or a serial killer now. Like, everybody just falls into one category, and they're all equally horrifying. And I'm just, it's, it's depressing to see. 
It's like, see, like this is what this is what happens when there's nothing but depressing movies made. Everybody else gets sad. Let's get let, let's let's watch a let's make another Rocky movie where Sylvester Stallone at seventy five just beats up just just beats up a Russian boxer. Can we just go back to just feeling uplifted, superficially uplifted? Can we just go back to just seeing good propaganda that's positive? And gets us just in the mood. Not any of this shit now. Like not everybody. Not every movie just has to be about a sick family. Not every piece of media you just have. You see has to be like. I don't know. Somebody vomiting up their intestines and shit like that. Just make a fucking movie about dogs and dandelions. Make a movie about a couple that just bones each other. Every scene. It doesn't even have to be a story. It doesn't have to be coherent. It doesn't have to be anything. Just make a fucking porno and put it in theaters. Make people happy. Make a movie about an incel that gets laid. Holy shit. I think those guys need a little bit of uh, motivation to look on the bright side. God, all they fucking do is just sit online and just talk dirty about people and like cheer some of those guys up. Maybe they wouldn't be so fucking demented. Uh. Just make a movie just called Incel Gets a Hand Job. That'll sell. Everybody's so angry at each other now. Everybody's just uh and nobody nobody knows like the solution of how to like settle a conflict anymore. Everything is just online. Nobody's doing it face to face and when they do it face to face somebody gets killed and it's just gruesome and it's just, there's nothing in the middle anymore. There's just nothing but there's there's no more guys just meeting in a place talking it out, maybe fighting. Like that that's all it used to be in my grandfather's era. My grandfather used to tell me stories of when two guys had a disagreement, if they if if they had it out for each other, at some point this didn't happen all the time, but it was common. It was it was common for two guys to just walk into a room by themselves, lock the door, talk for a little bit, and whatever happened, happened. Sometimes it would escalate and end in a fight, but whoever won the fight, it was between the two of you. No, There was no spectators. There was no phones. There was nothing. It was just two angry guys, probably with a little bit of sexual frustration, I don't know. Quite frankly, these stories that my grandfather told me, they really raise more questions than answers. But hey, I don't know if that was their thing, if they did end up having sex. It was I'm more power to them. I'm looking at a 1940s story with a 2021 lens, everybody. Where is my TV series? But it was what it was. That that's how people settled disagreements during the Great Depression or World War II. Guy, people were just tough. Now it's all oust this person online. Oh, he said something mean to me. Well, I'm going to ruin his life by posting a picture of him from 10 years ago, passed out on someone's front lawn with a mixture of blood, semen, and barf on his sweater. 
and he's going to look humiliated and stupid, and that's my way of getting back. It's that none of that ever works. It just makes it, it just exacerbates the situation. It makes it worse. Everybody handles, everybody handles online conflicts now like seasoned gunfighters. Like they actually know what they would do, what to do if someone came at them. Right. If someone in real life stepped to them and said, say it to my face. Right. Some of you wouldn't know anything. Some of you wouldn't know a thing. I wouldn't know a thing. It took me it took me a long time to realize that there's psychos in the world. It took me to encounter some real sociopaths in my adult years for that reality to sink in. My father always warned me about it because I was a loud, boisterous child. And my dad knew that some people just wouldn't like that. And he would say, Alex, around here, it's okay. You're a little annoying. I want to leave you outside in the cold sometimes, but you're my son and I love you. And I feel like I need to warn you that there's some people who are going to see you and they're not going to let, they're going to want to punch you in the face. I just need to warn you. So I, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. My mom would say the same thing. I'm like, who are these old bags trying to give me wisdom. What is this? These cucks. Yes, I said it. But they were right. They turned out to be correct. There are absolute psychos in the world who who will hurt people, right? It's just a truth. Some people just don't, some people aren't used to that. And it, it took me, when I, when I was 18, this is the first real fight that I ever saw. I'd, I'd grown up seeing fist fights and shit in the schoolyard, and just two guys would fucking hit each other in the nose, shake hands, and then they'd, I don't know, blow each other, whatever it was, fucking teenagers are stupid. When I was 18, I was at a party. I'm not going to get into all the details of this. That's for another podcast. But when I was 18, I was at a, a, a light get-together, a, a kickback, if you will. And the girl running the place, uh, we were just having drinks on the patio, and this guy comes in, totally uninvited. He came, from, uh, I guess, from the public school that this girl went to, and they knew each other. He was like a neighborhood kid, and I'd never seen him before. But he comes in belligerently drunk. He's knocking shit over. He's loud. He's disturbing everybody. He's annoying. Smelt a little funky. And she kicks him right out. She says, nope, get out. He comes back an hour and a half later with a couple of buddies toting aluminum baseball bats, the kind that they don't even allow in the MLB. And they just start hitting guys. One guy gets kneecapped. The other guy gets the handle of the bat right against his head. Now, neither of these guys died. No one was killed. It wasn't anything like that. But it was the first time in my young suburban life where I was like, oh, violence is something more than just two kids in the schoolyard having a fist fight and whatever. It can be, it can be so much more random. And and much more violent, much more dangerous, and it could have been so much worse. And I remember the, like there was a fight that broke out onto the street, and we're all out onto the road. I remember I yelled something to one of my friends, like, "Hey, let's get out of here!" And it caught the attention of the guy with the bat, the drunk guy, the main guy, the big boss. And he walks over to me and says, "Say that again, pussy." And I guess he thought I said something else. Like nobody, everybody was like on Percocet. Like nobody fucking, nobody understood what anybody was saying. Not me, but like you know, these these guys were out of their minds. And he walks right up to me with the bat in his hand, and I thought I was gone. I thought that was it. And he just looks into my eyes and he says, "You're not about it," and fucking knocks my cap off. 
knocks my cap right off. And that was it. He just walked away. He spared me. So in a way, I, I, I want to, you know, there's part of me that doesn't like this guy, but then there's another part of me that wants to write a letter to whatever prison he's staying in currently and talk to him. Thank him for, because uh, I wouldn't be here in a basement talking into a $50 microphone if it wasn't for him. No, but that was an intense situation, and that inf- incidents like that informed my 20s. And I saw other violent incidents of guys just beating the shit out of each other, sometimes 10 guys in a parking lot, sometimes fighting with the cops. Like it was, And that just helped inform me that there's people out there that will really that are really about that life, as the rappers would say. And I'm not one of them. I can't do that kind of shit. I'm fragile. I'm not one for physical confrontation. I'll defend myself, obviously, but I'm not one to go looking for it. I'm not one to go asking for trouble. God knows how I'd fare in prison myself. God knows. I'd maybe rise to the occasion like I'd make a shiv out of soap or whatever the hell they do. And God knows who who knows where I'd have to hide it. But uh, no, but everybody just wants to settle everything online and call people out. It's like, I do you really think that that's the best idea? You don't know who you're talking. You don't know how to fight half of you. I'll see some of these guys who are just mouthing off and they're acting crazy and just shooting their mouths off online with these massive statuses, calling people out and dissing people. And I'll look at them and I'll go, you don't, you don't know a thing about throwing a punch. You're the kind of guy where if you if you diss somebody. And and they showed up to your home with Molotov cocktails. You'd you'd look out the window and go, "Hey, they're coming with drinks." God, I've had social media at this point over half my life. Over half my life started with MSN, then MySpace, then Facebook, whatever. Over since I was thirteen, roughly. And you know, I I've had people who have friends of mine who have angered me deeply to my core, who have hurt me, who have stolen from me, who have rattled me. I've had bosses that have treated me like shit. We all have. I'm no exception. But out of all the conflicts I've had with people and out of all the people I've never liked who have have angered me, not once did I ever think, hey, you know how this would be solved? You know what would solve this? If I called them out and ousted them in front of potentially thousands of people. Yeah, that's not going to backfire. Uh, but nobody seems to, a lot of people seem to not realize that, that there's real people that, there's some people you can get away with talking about, and then other people you can't. And it's mainly guys with this shit. Girls do the same, girls do it, but guys do it. And it's, it's it can get ugly. It has the potential of getting really ugly. Anyways, that's my two cents. Take it or leave it. Sums off podcast. Don't forget to follow me on TikTok. Get the Instagram. Uh, also, uh, Alex DeWitt, 15 on Twitter. Apparently, there were 14 other Alex DeWitts, and I had to wait my turn. That's something else my parents taught me. It's not all about me. Anyways, that it is.